And we'll do a microphone handoff. There we are. Well, good evening, everybody. Um, welcome to Pulse at the Ravine. A lot of familiar faces, a few less familiar faces for me, and I'm really excited about that. But we're so glad that you are here. Um, it occurred to me during those first couple of songs that there are two particular points of housekeeping I just want to make you aware of. If you're here and you need a restroom, Okay. There's the um, library, university building, Keene Johnson, Powell Student Center. You can use a bathroom. They're open for you. You're welcome to do that. And if you need water, whether from singing so much or just from the fact that it is a 90 degree day, I do believe that our kind folks up at the hospitality tent should have some more water. So feel free, even if you already had a bottle, you can go get yourself another one um, if you need that. So anyway, that being said, we are here tonight with the mind to worship. We are here tonight with the mind to exalt Jesus Christ because we believe that there is no other name under heaven by which man must be saved. That is why we are here because he is worthy of that. So we believe that you can meet with Jesus in this place and that is our goal tonight. Um, Personally, it's a joy to be on the campus. It's, it's, it's been, we've been looking forward to this here for a number of weeks, um, and now the day is finally here, and there's always that feeling of like, wow, it's actually happening now. Uh, and it's good to, good to do that. It's good for me to be on this campus. I graduated from here about 10 years ago, and I have a habit of coming here every Tuesday in the morning. I like to sit in the Starbucks and downstairs pal and do my work or just piddle around and read a book or whatever that is. But um, it's good to be here with you. But I am not here to talk about me. I'm here to talk about Jesus. And I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear someone say that. I, I imagine a lot of you are Christians, and even when you hear someone just say the words, let's talk about Jesus, you're like, what do I have to say? What do you need me to say? Do you need me to like, you know, flash all my theological credentials at you and, and tell you everything that I know about the incarnation and the kenosis and whatever all, you know, theological words you want to use? And, and some of you may not be a Christian. When you hear somebody say, I want to talk about Jesus, you get this picture in your head that, that someone's going to call you a filthy, dirty, awful sinner, or, uh, or that I'm going to start talking about some ooey-gooey, loving sky daddy and avoid hard questions about things like the problem of evil or things like that. But some of you also may think that it must mean that if we're talking about Jesus, then I inherently dislike you if you're in this category, and I really like you if you're in this category. But that's not the case. See, we get our ideas about God, and we get kind of stuck in our ideas about God. If you're not a Christian, but you've been around Christians, you have your idea about what Christians are like. Okay, Even if you are a Christian, you, there tend to be things that you believe and you kind of get stuck in those beliefs and it's hard for you to kind of get out of that, uh, that, that category. But you know, Jesus, when he walked the earth, when he preached and he taught and he healed and he ate with people, Jesus upset a fair amount of apple carts. Okay? If you want to boil down, to just put it down, maybe a little bit oversimplified, but if you want to boil down the reason that Jesus crucif was crucified and suffered on the cross for us, it's because Jesus showed people what God was actually like, as opposed to you know letting people go forward in their ideas and their preconceived notions of what God was actually like. He showed them what God was like, and that upset some people, because Jesus ate with the wrong people. 
Jesus hung around the wrong people. Jesus healed people when he should have been resting on the Sabbath. Jesus disrupted the trading in the temple as though it was wrong to treat God's house like it was a house of prayer and not a place to buy and sell things. Jesus taught things that were disturbing. So without being too flippant or, or, or disrespectful about it, if the gospel offends you, then that's kind of what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to trample on your ideas just a little tiny bit. Because see, we are people who were made in the image of God. And we were made to know God and be known by God. But sin entered the world at the beginning of the story of humanity. And it clouds our understanding of who God is and what God is like. And we need God himself to open our eyes and to unstop our ears so that we can see who he is and to hear his voice. And that has been my hope and my prayer for you tonight is that God would do just that because if Jesus didn't confront people's ideas about who God was and what he was like then we would be stuck in those ideas and we would never know the truth but Jesus said you shall know the truth and the truth will set you be, will set you free so my question to you is don't you want to be free right free from addiction free from destructive habits free from the powerful effect that other people and their sins and their their mistakes and their own brokenness has had on you free from the spiritual weights that drag you down and rob you of feeling joy and and, and happiness and light because that is what i believe god wants for you i truly truly believe that and maybe you're hearing me you're saying listen i am free there's I'm not, I'm not a slave to anything that's exactly what they said to jesus you can read it for yourself in john chapter 8 verses 31 through 36 jesus himself says everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin in other words, they're obliged to come back to it time after time after time. They are stuck in the cycle of sin. But not only that, Jesus also says that when you're a slave, you have no permanent residence. And in other words, what that means is that sin will never satisfy you. Sin will never give you a home. But Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, offers us a home. And if Jesus, if the Son, with a capital S, sets you free, you will be free indeed. So... I want to encourage you and ask you to hear me out tonight, even just a little bit. Okay, I'd like to read to you this evening from the book of Acts, which if you're not familiar with the book of Acts, it's a book that documents the happenings of the early church, beginning with the ascension of Jesus after he was raised from the dead, back to the Father's right hand. And let me just pause right here for a second just to say, okay, that when we talk about the Bible, we believe that this stuff really happened. Okay? These are real people with real names in real places, just as real as, as you and I are in, in Richmond, Kentucky right now. Okay? We don't believe in, in Bible stories, as it were, because when you call it a Bible story, it kind of disconnects it from reality just a little tiny bit. Okay? This stuff really happened, and Luke documents that stuff. Luke was a doctor, and he wrote the book of Acts to his friend Theophilus to, to, uh, to recount to him all of the things that God did in the early church. So in the book of Acts, across the course of it, we meet a man named Saul. Saul was a jealous, uh, sorry, zealous Jew who, who persecuted the early Christian church. He, he oversaw the execution of Christians. Then God met Saul on the road to Damascus, Syria, a real place. He spoke to him and he asked him why he was persecuting him. God then struck uh, Saul blind and told him to go and find a man named Ananias. And then Saul's name was changed from Saul to Paul. 
And Paul became an extremely active church planter and missionary, and he wrote a big chunk of the New Testament. So over the course of his travels, Paul was in Athens, Greece, and when he was in Athens, he noticed that the city was full of idols. So he begins to talk with people in the synagogue and in the marketplace, and he reasoned and he talked with them, and they called him a babbler and a preacher of foreign divinities. They thought this guy was out of his mind, he was wrong, he was a little bit crazy, whatever. Okay? Then, then they ask him to explain the new teaching that he's presenting, and that's where I want to go with you. So if you have a Bible, if you have a Bible app, I want to encourage you to go to Acts chapter 17. Normally, when we're in the building, this is a part where I say we're going to put it up on the screen, but I'm so sorry there's not a screen here, okay? So if you have a Bible, Bible app, Bible app, Acts 17, and we're going to go from verse 22, and we're going to work all the way through 34, taking it in little chunks at a time. So Acts 17, 22 is where we're going to start. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way... You are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. So just understand that the people of that day believed in a, in a multitude, or what you might call a pantheon of gods. There were different gods responsible for different things, and if you wanted this thing, then you would pray to this god, and if you wanted this thing, then you would pray to this god, and so on and so forth. But not they, they, they didn't just believe in gods, they even made an altar for the unknown god, so that just in case they don't know which box to check, they could say, listen, we don't know what this falls under, so we're going to call it the unknown god. And you keep a budget and you have like a, a something that you're trying to figure out, but you're not sure what it goes under. And you just say, you know, I just need a miscellaneous category. It was kind of like this. They didn't know what God to pray to. So they said, we're just going to cover all of our bases and say, we're going to pray to the unknown God. Okay. The difference between their culture and ours, I believe, okay, is that in our culture, we tend to err on the side of, 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 of doubt and skepticism. We say, there's no God, there's no evidence, there's no proof. I will worship a God who doesn't make itself perfectly clear to me. Okay, so rather than worshiping a God, we, we just prioritize certain things. We prioritize sexuality. We, we prioritize science. We prioritize experience, knowledge, money, success, whatever it is. We don't think that we need to give worship to a God, okay? Let alone the God of the Bible, okay? But there is eternity in man's heart is what scripture tells us, okay? We, there is just something inside of us that just knows that there is something out there and we're all trying to figure out what exactly it is. Now, Paul says, you say that God is unknown, but I'm going to proclaim him to you. I will make him known to you because, and don't miss this, God is knowable. Okay? God is knowable. In the person of Jesus Christ, God himself became more than a concept, more than this broad idea of, of, of God, whatever that means. He, he became specific in the person of Jesus Christ so that we could know him. And Paul goes on, he continues, and he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind 
<clears throat> to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet, he is actually not far from each of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. So first things first, Paul specifies that there is one God, the God. Again, this is going against their idea of all these different gods for all these different things. Paul says there is one God, the God who made the world and everything in it. He's Lord of it, and he doesn't need anything from us. Look, God doesn't need me to be here. God doesn't need me to thank him. God doesn't need my worship. God didn't need us to come to the ravine on Sunday, August 20th, 2023 at 6 p.m. He didn't need that. He didn't need us to sing these songs to him, but he deserves it because of who he is. He is the maker of all things. He's the maker of all people. He gives us breath. He gives us the grace to live here every single day. And to those who trust in him, he gives new mercy every single day morning. A good friend and mentor of mine used to say that when you wake up in the morning, there is a fresh bucket of mercy waiting by your bed because you get new mercy from God to face that day. He gives us strength to face today. He gives us renewed hope so that I can face tomorrow. And God made of one man, and he's referring to Adam, God made of one man every nation on earth. He determined who would live where and when so that they, and by extension, we, should seek God, maybe feel our way toward him and find him. So here's my question for you. Are you looking? Okay. Are you looking? Are you looking sincerely? Or are you looking skeptically? Because Paul indicates here that you were made, you were created, you were put here at this place and in this time so that you might seek God and find him. That is your purpose in life. If you are trying to figure out what you were, were made to do, what you were designed to do, it is simply that, to know God, to seek God and to know him. But he goes on. Yet, he is actually not far from each of us. In him, we live and move and have our being. He is not far away. Whether you realize it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not, God is giving you life and sustaining you every single day. That's why at our church, we don't like to say, accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Because on one hand, accept means to receive, and that's an appropriate use of the word, okay? But sometimes accept kind of implies something passive. Okay, we use the word accept to talk about things that we wish we could change, but we can't. So I guess I'll just have to accept it the way it is, okay? Today's a hot day. I am a chronic sweater, and I just kind of accepted the fact that I need to, to bring a spare t-shirt today. Okay, it's that kind of day. But Jesus doesn't do acceptance, not in that kind of way. We accept the free gift of salvation because we can't earn it, and we can't pay God back for it. But once we have accepted the free gift, our posture becomes, Lord, what would you like me to do? What are you asking me? We surrender to Jesus as our Lord, as our Savior, as our healer, our guide, and our comforter. We yield to the Holy Spirit of God that dwells within us as we believe in Jesus, who is the Christ. Paul finishes. He says, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere 
to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. That was God's receipt for what he was going to do. Okay. Now when, you, now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom were also Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Here's the deal, friends. We need to be careful. Okay? God is not made in our image, but we are made in his. We cannot decide what we want God to be like, and therefore he is like that. Okay? We must be molded by and conformed to God's revelation of himself to us. God overlooked a time of ignorance, but now God commands all people everywhere, including you and me today in this place, to repent because he has set a date for the trial when he will judge the world in righteousness according to Jesus. And yes, hell is real. We believe that. But here's the thing. Hell was made for the devil and his angels. It wasn't made for us in the first place. We were made to know God and to love God. Now, here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his begotten son. You may know that verse well. You may be familiar with it, right? God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, okay? And if God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, he did not send me, he did not send the pastor of this church, he did not send any church in this community or any church on the world, he did not send us into the world to condemn it, but that through Jesus, the world might be saved. That is God's goal, for people to be saved. And we need saving because we are under the power and the influence of sin. If you look around, it's not hard to tell. Okay, in a nutshell, the problem of evil, if you want to talk about that issue, the problem of evil is the problem of sin. People want what they want, how they want it, and when they want it. And that is what leads to abuse, to war, to deception, to cheating, to greed, to injustice. It is something inside all of us that is rotten, and we need to be delivered from it. But thanks be to God, because that is exactly why Jesus Christ came into the world, to save sinners. To seek and to save the lost. To aid those who are sick, not those who are, are well or righteous or who even think that they're well and they're righteous. God did not send Jesus Christ into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. Okay, so if you're hearing me tonight, I have a question and I want you to think about it. Just like the people in the Oropagus, will you mock or will you hear me again about this? I don't know what your history is with God. I don't know what your history is with Christianity or specifically with Jesus. Maybe you grew up in it, but someone hurt you or abused you. And because of that, it makes you want to doubt. It makes you think that if this is what Jesus followers are like, I don't want anything to do with it. Maybe you have a problem just believing in it. You just find the ideas just a little too far out there and it's just a little too unbelievable. Or maybe you have a problem with the fact that I said you're under the influence of sin. Maybe your perception of the church is that we're just against everything. Everything that's fun, everything that seems good to me, okay? We're against drinking, we're against the LGBTQ community, we're against you having sex before you're married, we're against you doing dreads, we're just against, 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 okay? Let me tell you what we're for. We are for the kingdom of God coming to earth. 
And what that means is that we are for seeing people live lives that are made whole by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. We are for seeing people healed from physical diseases, from trauma, from abuse, from addictions. We are for seeing people thrive in life, having healthy friendships, healthy relationships, healthy marriages, healthy careers in their families and in their communities. But above all else, we as a church are for seeing people come into a relationship with Jesus Christ and to see their lives changed through discipleship, through obeying Jesus and through living their lives God's way. That's the invitation. The invitation is not simply a ticket out of hell because it's such an awful, awful, awful place. The, the invitation is into a relationship with the God who knows you, with the God who loves you, with the God who created you on purpose at this time and in this place so that you might seek him and find him. And that does not require any condemnation whatsoever. It doesn't require any picket signs. It doesn't require a heated debate. I want to encourage you, if, this is, if, if the vineyard is not the place that you call home, if you are looking for a home church, I want to encourage you to come and see what it's all about. I want to invite you. You can join us. We're over by the Old Richmond Mall, uh, or in the Old Richmond Mall, close to Walmart. Okay, We meet on Sunday mornings. We have service times available and all that kind of stuff. But not because we are the best or most important or only church in town. Not, not that at all. Okay, If you find a church that is preaching Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected, that is a good thing. And I want to encourage you and invite you to see what it's all about. Okay. What we're going to do at this point, we're going to continue worshiping because that is the primary reason that we are here tonight. But we believe here at the Vineyard, if you're not part of our church, if, you, if you've never been in the Vineyard before, we believe in, um, in prayer and in ministry. Okay, And so I want to offer you the invitation and the opportunity to receive prayer. If you look around um, the seats in the ravine, you're going to see some people wearing some bright green shirts. And on the front of those bright green shirts, it says, how can I pray for you? And it's intentional that we put the word how there, because if you see somebody in a church that says, can I pray for you? You might just run away from them. Okay. I'm just saying. Okay. But if you see somebody and you would like to receive prayer, I want to encourage you to seek someone with a green shirt out. And I want to invite you if you are confused about what you believe if you know that there's something out there but you're just not sure what it is you're not sure what it's actually like you want to find out a little bit more i want to encourage you to find someone to pray with if you have a bad history with the church maybe you've been burned maybe you've been hurt Maybe you've been rejected and maybe you've been cast out. Maybe it's been rightly, maybe it's been wrongly. I don't know. I don't know your story, but you just need to receive some prayer for that hurt. Maybe you need prayer tonight because you are seeing the weight of your sin. And today is the day that you have decided, I need to repent and I need to surrender to Jesus Christ as my Lord and as my Savior. And to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? How would you like me to live my life going forward as a result of the message of the gospel? Or maybe you're here tonight and you just want God to speak to you. You're tired, you're hurting, you're weary, you're unsure, and you just want to know that God is real. You just want to know that he sees you and that he cares about you. 
Every year at our church, Pastor Joe uh, fasts and prays and gives a lot of thought and a lot of uh, headspace to listening to the Lord for what word we're going to have going into the year 2012, 2023, but every year. Okay, This year's word is the word available. And as we were um, preparing for this, you know, at, when we hear that at the vineyard, our, our, our posture is to say, Lord, I want to be available to you. Whatever you want me to do, I want to be available. But as we were thinking about coming here, the impression that I got is that God wants you to know that he is available to you. Not, not to do everything you want him to do, but he does want to speak to you. He does want to interact with you. He is available to you in that way. And so as a consequence, will you then be available to him? Again, I want to encourage you, invite you, if you are feeling stirred, if you want to pray with somebody, find somebody in a green shirt. But in the meantime, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go back, and we're going to sing a few more songs this evening. So, Father, I just want to thank you. God, I want to thank you for this campus. I want to thank you for all the students that are here. I want to thank you for the staff and the faculty. God, I pray that this university would absolutely flourish in every possible way. God, I thank you that just as your word says that you created us on purpose and that you put us in this place and at this time so that we might seek you and find our way towards you. I want to thank you, God, that you are not far from us, but you have made yourself known to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And Father, my prayer tonight is that every single person here, every age, young and old, every stage of life, whether a student or married or single, whatever it is, God, I pray that everyone here would draw a little bit closer to you, would find our way a little bit more toward you. Thank you, God, that you don't hide from us. Thank you, God, that, that you draw near to people who are hurting, that you draw near to people who have questions, that you, have, that you draw near to people who have doubts and who need help. Holy Spirit, we just invite you. Be speaking to us, God. We welcome you. We invite you. We wait for you tonight. Come and be among us, God. Do what you need to do in our midst. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.